Have you ever noticed that tunnels are not built in a straight line? While it certainly would be easier, engineers realized that because tunnels are so dark, a driver would be dazzled by the brightness of the light at the end. So curves are built so the light increases gradually. It's a good thought, particularly in those dark moments of life when you experience twists and turns. But there is a light just around the bend. Jesus is the light at the end of our tunnel. He's the light at the end of your tunnel. He's the light at the end of my tunnel, dear friends. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. If we're being honest, when it feels as though there's darkness all around us, it can be extremely difficult to see even a glimmer of light on the horizon. Today, Charles Tapp takes you on a journey through the Gospel of John to share the words of Jesus himself that we are given hope even in the darkest of times. As he shares his message, the light at the end of the tunnel. Our message today centers around the story of the woman who was caught in adultery, the Bible says, in the very act of, from the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, I already know the question you have. I already know what you're thinking. Pastor, what kind of message is this for Advent, for the celebration of the birth of Christ, what possible connection could this have? Well, before I answer that question, I want to begin by first addressing another question that you're probably not even asking, and that question is this. What do we mean when we say the gospel of? What is meant by this term, gospel? You know, the word gospel comes from the old English word God spells. Some of you may be old enough to remember that musical. I know I am. And it is a Greek translation of the Greek noun euugelion, which simply means good news or good tidings. Euangelion was used in the Greek whenever there was some grand announcement of good news, such as the victory that has been won in battle, or if a king of a Roman ruler would assume the throne, that would be euangelion. It would be an announcement of good news. But during the time of the early church, although Jesus spoke Aramaic, they translated his words into Greek, and eugelion came to be applied not only to the preaching, but also to the written versions of the good news. We call them the Gospels. So today, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all providing insight, all providing a look, a glimpse into the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. Each gospel giving its own unique contribution, its own distinct purpose, each emphasizing different aspects of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' life. For instance, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus was the Messiah as prophesied in the Old Testament. The Gospel of Mark gives us insight into the sufferings of Jesus Christ. 
The Gospel of Luke shows us a Christ who is the Savior, not of some people, but of all people. And yes, in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus portrayed as the eternal Son of God. But when you put all of these Gospels together, they provide us with a complete picture of Jesus' life and Jesus' earthly ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know them to be synoptic gospels, synoptic being viewed together as they provide similar perspectives, similar stories in their writings. But the gospel of John, in which our story is contained today, stands alone. You see, John's gospel contains material that is not found in Matthew, Mark, or even the Gospel of Luke. For instance, we have in the Gospel of John the new birth experience when Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again. It is in the Gospel of John where we have the conversation with Jesus with the woman at the well. It is in the Gospel of John where Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. And here's one of my favorites. It is in the Gospel of John that we have the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I hope that's one of your stories, favorite stories as well. You know, John's gospel is also referred to as the gospel of believing. Why? Because this verb, pisteo, which means to believe, is found in John's gospel 98 times. Not used as a noun in believing in something like a, a tradition or a rule of thought but in belief of a person, in the believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Which brings us to our story today, which by the way is found only in the Gospel of John. So turn with me to John chapter eight as we look at verses two to six. Look at what the word of God says today. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down, the Bible says, and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, meaning in the midst of Jesus and the crowd, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act of. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but, but what do you say? Verse six, this they said, what? Testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Now, whoever says the Bible is a boring book, if the Bible is boring to you, either you haven't read it and you surely have not studied it. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to be able to come to the conclusion here that something in this story isn't quite right. There's something that is suspicious here, there's something that is going on. 
Even the gospel writer John gives credence to this idea when he says that the Sadducees came to him bringing this woman so that they might tempt him, test him, try him, and even trap him. And it appears as though as they had confronted Jesus with an inescapable dilemma. You know, in one of my classes here at Washington Adventist University, I share with my students a definition of dilemma, and I want to share it with you today. Look at what it says. A dilemma is when a choice has to be made between what? Two equally undesirable alternatives. I remember my mother when I was growing up, Nanny Bell Tapp, she would always refer to a dilemma this way. She would say, Antoine, it means you're caught between a rock and a hard place. How many of you have ever heard that before? She said, son, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I understood what she meant. A rock is what? A hard place. So no matter which way you turn, you're going to be faced with a difficult situation. And that's what a dilemma is. And that's what they thought they had presented Jesus with. An inescapable dilemma. They thought that Jesus was caught between a rock and a hard place. And what, was, what were Jesus' options here? First of all, he could have stoned her. But in doing so, he would have taken his name and diminished the fact that he was one who was known as one who had mercy and was willing to forgive sins. But if he had set her free, not only would he have been violating the law of Moses in Leviticus 20 and verse 10, which says that the man and the woman should both be brought to be stoned together, but he would also be appearing as being one who was diminishing the very law. And Jesus was the accused of this many times, especially when it came to the Sabbath, because they always accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, the greatest point of contention that Jesus had in his life with the Pharisees and the Sadducees was over this issue of breaking the Sabbath. But when you think about this, it also leads us to believe something else here, that these men of the cloth were simply up to no good. Now, why do I say that? Because Moses' law says that if a man and a woman were caught into adultery, both parties, not just the woman, both parties were to be brought out to be stoned. And it says here that she was caught in the very act of. And if she was caught in the act, then they knew who the man was. But how does Jesus respond? In a manner that is first puzzling, but then at the same time is also profoundly clever. In John 8 and verse 6, it says again that Jesus just stooped down and proceeded to write in the dust in the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. In other words, it appears as though Jesus was simply tuning them out. But the question that everyone asks and everyone wants answered today is, what in the world was Jesus writing in the dust? And I tell you, dear friends, the answer is profound. And here it is. We don't have a clue. 
We really don't know. It's a mystery. Now, there's several theories out there. Some believe that maybe Jesus was kneeling down, writing into the dust the very names and the sins of those men who had paraded this woman before him. Or maybe Jesus was simply doodling nonsense in the dust, like some of us do in a meeting when we're bored, we just doodle. But what we do know is that at first, nothing happened. He just knelt on the ground and began to write. But something is about to change. Let's go back to John's Gospel, chapter 8, and let's look at verses 7 to 9 this time. Look at what the Word of God says. So when they continued asking him, you know, they had to continue to ask him because he ignored them as he knelt down to write in the dust. He raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse nine, then those who heard it here it is being convicted by their conscience went out. The Bible says how one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in what the midst of him. Hmm. First, nothing happened. But now Jesus begins to write on the ground again. Now, according to the Jewish law, witnesses to this capital defense, they were the ones who were supposed to initiate the stoning. So Jesus doesn't disregard the law, but what he is about to do, he's about to give them the privilege to take part in the execution themselves because that's what the law stated. If you were a witness to this, you were supposed to be the one to throw the first stone. And if you were a witness to the offense, here's the question. Why didn't you bring the other party? In other words, where was the man in all of this? Jesus makes it plain that whoever, listen, whoever decided to do this, their goal was never about justice. It was never about righteousness. It was simply a way in their minds to trap Jesus. And if they had to use a defenseless woman to do it, to accomplish their goal, they were willing to do it. And when you think about it today, not much has changed, has it? After Jesus invites them to take part in their own charade, John's gospel says that he, talking about Jesus, stooped down, goes back to writing in the dirt again. Let's look at John 8, 10 to 11 this time. When Jesus raised himself up, he's written in the dirt now for the second time. Now he's raising himself up and he saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin 
no more. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Light at the End of the Tunnel. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And it can be extremely difficult to see even a glimmer of light when it seems as though there's darkness all around us. This week, Charles Tapp shares the words of Jesus himself that we are given hope even in the darkest of times. As he concludes his message, the light at the end of the tunnel. Please don't miss this. Something is different this time. Now there's movement on the part of the scribes and Pharisees. Could it be because of what Jesus wrote in the ground this time as opposed to the first time? Or was it because of what Jesus said? You who without sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. But here's what we do know, that in challenging these men to throw or to cast the first stone and silencing them with his words, while at the same time, Forgiving rather than condemning this woman, it reveals to us four things about Jesus. And here they are. Number one, that Jesus was not against the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to for what? Fill the law. Number two, that he was one who was willing, dear friends, to grant both what? Grace and mercy when it is needed. How many of you say amen to that? There are times we need grace and there are times we need mercy and then there are times we need both grace and mercy. And number three, it clearly demonstrates here that Jesus opposed sin, not just the fruit of sin, but it says in the gospel of Matthew that Jesus also opposed the root of sin. For wasn't it Jesus who said, you say that it should not, you should not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whoever even looks after a woman has already committed adultery in his own heart. And lastly, number four, it shows us that Jesus possessed the power to do all the above while at the same time silencing his critics and then shifting the shame from the woman and placing it right where it needed to be on these cowardice men. And how was Jesus able, dear friends, to accomplish all of this? How could Jesus forgive and not condemn? How could Jesus move shame from the woman and place it on the man simply by kneeling on the ground and writing in the dust? The answer is in verse 12 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus spoke to them 
again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. Do you get it? Jesus is letting them know that he is the light of the world. While still standing in the temple and the memory of what just taken place still fresh in their minds, Jesus makes a very bold declaration, which I'm sure upset most, but at the same time, dear friends, it gave hope to others, and that is Jesus proclaimed himself as being the light of the world. He says, I am the light of of the world. One of the seven I am propositions, declarations that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. And see this, the Jewish people understood that light meant holiness, that, that light meant hope. And if that wasn't enough to cause their blood to boil, Jesus proclaimed that I'm not just that light for the Jewish nation. No, Jesus proclaimed to them that I am the light for all people. And by bringing this defenseless woman into the presence of Jesus, dear friends, it was the best thing they could have done for her because in doing so, it helped her to see that her light had come and that there was light for her at the end of the tunnel. You know, this idiomatic expression, light at the end of the tunnel, simply means that a very difficult and challenging situation, a very difficult and painful one, is about to come to an end. You know, if you're in a very dark place, even the, the slightest light will give you hope. Well, this woman was not only in a very dark place, she was between a rock and a hard place. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? Do you feel like you're in a very dark place? Do you feel that you're in a, between a rock and a, and a hard place and no matter which way you turn, that, that there's simply no hope for you? Jesus, dear friends, is the light at the end of our tunnel. He was the light for her at the end of her very dark tunnel. You know, I wish sometimes that, that the Bible wouldn't leave us hanging with these kinds of stories because the Bible simply says that Jesus says, go and sin no more. And it doesn't tell us any more after that. I wonder what happened to this nameless woman now that the light of God's love has come into her life. Could it be that she reestablishes herself in the community? Could it be that she becomes a very prosperous and well-known individual? Could it be that she now devotes her life and her love to her Savior, to her Lord for the rest of her life? Why? Because she had been exposed to the fact that there was light at the end of the tunnel for her. And dear friends, I don't know who I'm talking to today, but some of you today are in a very dark place. I'm not even talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about other things that are going on in your life and you feel like you're caught 
like that woman between a rock and a very hard place. And you need to know today that Jesus is the light of the world. And because he is the light of the world, there is light for you at the end of the tunnel. Who says amen to that today? For Jesus is the light of the world. There is life and light for you and for me. And whenever we come before the light of Jesus, dear friends, it places us at the intersection of grace and truth. Look at John chapter 1 as we look at verses 14 to 17. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his what? Glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What? Full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me and of his fullness we have received what? Grace for grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus extending her grace made her receptive to the truth, which makes me wonder today, could it be that the world is very challenged in in receiving our message because we have not shown them grace, because we have not shown them Compassion, grace for grace. In other words, you and I should extend grace to others because God extends his grace to us. We all know the famous passage in John 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. At least most of us know verse 16. Look at what it says, John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But we neglect verse 17. Look at what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is the light at the end of our tunnel. He's the light at the end of your tunnel. He's the light at the end of my tunnel, dear friends. There is hope regardless of how dark your world is right now. I'm not talking about how you feel because a lot of us are are, are ruled by our feelings. So if we feel good today, it's a good day. If we don't feel good, then it's not a good day. You can't live your life by your feelings alone. There are times we've got to live our lives by the truth of God and God's truth alone, dear friends. Look at this quote by the famous preacher D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist. Look at what he says here. He says, we are told to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses, I love this, lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. 
Too many of us are like cannons into people's lives. We want to just give them the truth. Well, maybe if we extended to them grace first, they will be receptive of the truth. And that's what Jesus did for this woman. He was her light at the end of the tunnel. He gave her grace through forgiveness. And because of that, he could say, now go and sin no more. And I guarantee you if the story went on, dear friends, if we had what happened later, I guarantee you she walked in that truth because she had first received the forgiveness of God. I extend to you that light. I extend to you that life today. For there is light at the end of the tunnel in your life. If you allow the light of Jesus to guide you, to rule you, and nothing else. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Light at the End of the Tunnel. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Jesus didn't come into the world in the first advent to bring peace. Jesus came into the world to make peace. Next week, we hope you can join us as Charles Tapp continues with messages for this advent season to help you find a peace that passes all understanding with his message, The Pursuit of Peace. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.